contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt, a Brandt's rants edition about primarily the NFL trade deadline. What has changed? What's so different than the past? And get into the baseball world series a little bit. First, a word from Bet Online. Our sponsor, they have the biggest teams, the biggest moments. It's all happening. October is crazy. We got the World Series, we got NFL, we got college football. BetOnline.ag is your online sportsbook expert, the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. So use promo code Podcast One. You receive the 50% sign up bonus. BetOnline.ag. Brands Rants edition of the business of sports. You know, this trade deadline is coming in the NFL. It's next Tuesday as we record this, October 30th. That's the trade deadline with so much happening around the league with trades from a relative point of view from the past. It's important to delve in and look at why, and I'm going to bring in my experience around the league, and especially with the Packers trying to spur up the trade deadline that had never been a big deal before in the NFL and probably still isn't. But the more activity now is encouraging for fans to see sort of a a nice buzz around the trade deadline that we've never had in the NFL. Take you to baseball. Baseball has built up a nice buzz to the trade deadline. It happens late in the year, uh, in the late part of summer, towards the stretch run for baseball, which has created this sort of pretenders contenders where trades are being made around baseball for teams that are selling off because they see themselves going nowhere and they're looking to the future and teams that are buying towards a playoff run. Well, again, it's early. We're recording midweek uh, before the trade deadline, but we've already already seen some trades in football. Carlos Hyde going from the Browns to the Jaguars. Eli Apple going from the Giants to the Saints. Another trade with the Giants, Damon Harrison. Giants to the Lions, and of course, we'll talk more about Amari Cooper from the Raiders to, uh, of course, the Cowboys. So we're seeing activity early on. We're not even at the trade deadline. You know my thing, the trade deadline spur action. So we should, we should see a lot more coming on Monday and Tuesday for this trade deadline. Historically, here's the problem. The NFL has not allowed trades to sort of be seamless as they are. And here's what, what you know, in the Packers, Ron Wolf, the, my mentor, the guy who hired me in Green Bay, we used to sort of think about ways to juice up the trade deadline. This is back in the early aughts when I used to send in proposals to the NFL on behalf of Ron to sort of figure out what, what can we do to juice up the trade deadline. couple ideas. One, move it back, and that has been taken up, although not to the way we wanted. They've moved it back from mid-October, after the sixth game of the year, sixth week of the year, to end of October, after the eighth week of the year. So that's been done. It has juiced it a little bit, but what we were talking about is move the trade deadline to week 10, 11, 12, Thanksgiving, to really set it up like baseball, where you're having the sell-offs and the buyers in a way that you could really have a stretch run. The word we got back from the NFL at that time was, that's not what we want. We don't want a sell-off. We don't want rent-a-players for a stretch run. And 
I could ask why and Ron could ask why and they really didn't have a great answer. They just felt like you make your bed, you sleep in it. You have your team for the for the year. You can't get these sort of one-month rentals to help you. And again, the question becomes why not? They just didn't want that atmosphere around the NFL that had been around baseball for so long. We've heard about it in baseball. It happens, but the NFL didn't want that. Why, again, their own peculiar brand that they didn't want that to happen. Well, they did move it back a few years ago. They moved the trade deadline back. It made sense. I think it sort of came out of some of the uh, the activity with hurricanes and whatnot in the, in the recent past, but it has been held uh, that it is now Halloween-ish when we have these trade deadlines, and it has spurred more activity. Again, last year at this time, Right at the deadline, you had some nice sales. Well, I'd call them sales. They were trades uh, between the Seahawks and the Texans for Dwayne Brown, who had held out a major deal there. And, of course, the Garoppolo trade, a tie pick in the second round going to the Patriots, um, who, uh, of course, traded off Jimmy Garoppolo, which is going to be a trade we watched for years and years. Garoppolo played well last year got the huge contract, and of course, he is on IR this year. Now we've seen the trades I mentioned this year. Again, it's happening in the NFL, and here are some things that I think are the causes for more activity in the NFL. Number one, more cap room. Uh, The cap has gone up. Teams are better prepared. Teams are more prudent with the cap. Something that wasn't happening back before this current CBA was carryover. So teams can now carry over cap room, have loads of cap room, and potentially carry it over again. You have teams like Browns, 49ers, Jaguars with tremendous amounts of cap room that they can spill over into the next year. It doesn't worry if they leave it on the table because they can bring it forward. So that's what you're seeing happening you have the Giants selling off assets to the Saints. You have Giants selling off assets to the Lions, teams with enough cap room to take on these players. And again, with a later, later uh, deadline, then you're taking on less salary. If the cap, if the trade deadline was earlier, mid-October, you'd take on two, three more weeks of cap hit, salary charge, etc. Now you're taking on less. So that's a part of it as well. So we have that going. These are things that, again, contribute to more active trading deadline. That's number one. More cap room, better cap management over the years, carryover cap, allowing for assimilation of these player contracts into it, having less of it because it's later in the season with the prorated salaries. Number two, I think a big reason is follow the leader, a copycat league. Look at the team that just won the Super Bowl. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles have been one of, if not the most active team in the league trade-wise. Howie Roseman, their general manager, as I sit here in my home, I'm looking at the street for his home a block away, uh, very active, always has been. And because of that, people are copying. We've seen it last trade deadline. Well, of course, the Eagles hadn't won that, but over the offseason, we see a lot of veterans being traded, whether it's Aqib Tlaib, Marcus Peters, Jean-Pierre Paul, Robert Quinn. We saw Alec Ogletree. We saw all these trades in the offseason, and now we're seeing more trades towards the trade deadline. Again, copycat league. We had a team that won the Super Bowl that really was active with trading, and people looked to that. 
That correlates to reason number three why I think these trades are happening. You have a breed of general managers like Howie that's willing, more than willing, to be active. I think in the past you've had conservative general managers. You've had, I hate to say, older general managers that just weren't from a background of activity at the trade deadline that did a lot of smoke and no fire, that talked deals but never actually came through. Now we have general managers around the league that are willing to be active. I mean, some of whom I worked with. John Dorsey at Cleveland, he'll make deals. He'll do stuff. Uh, And John Schneider, who I worked with many years, now at Seattle, he'll do deals. He's active. He's ready to go. Of course, Harry Roseman, Kevin Demoff uh, with the Rams, active, ready to go. Uh, So you see these general managers. And the other part of it is everyone knows each other. A lot of these guys came up from a scouting background. They have relationships. They're going to make deals happen. You know, Harry Roseman and Mike Tannenbaum with the Eagles and Dolphins, they've done deals before. They've known each other 20 years. They're close. You have Bob Quinn in Detroit who just made a deal with the Giants. He knows everyone from New England, scouting background. These guys coming up together. And not, not only the general managers, but assistant general managers, people in player personnel. Again, we're looking at a little younger, a little more analytical approach to roster management. So that's why I think these deals are happening more. More cap room, follow the leader, uh, a, a crop of general managers willing to do deals. And I think the other part of it is, yeah, I mean, teams are willing to tinker roster more for whatever reason. That hadn't happened in the past. Now we have more tinkerers, more people willing to do that around the league. And because of that, you're seeing activity in in the trade deadline. That's a good thing for the fan base. The other reason, (laughs) it's not intentional, perhaps, with the league telling people to be active, because as I detailed in my past accounts, they didn't want the teams to be active. Another thing that we advocated back in the day was allowing teams to trade for cap room. Yes, you trade a player, you trade a draft pick, you trade a present asset for cap room. And we thought that would be a nice way because you have these teams, and even today you have teams like Cleveland again, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, San Francisco with all this cap room, and there are assets out there they could acquire. So why wouldn't we allow that? And again, that was something where the NFL came back to us and said, You make your bed, you sleep in it, so we're not going to allow that. Uh, That, I thought, you know, could have been a real asset. Like, you can't trade cash in the NFL for trades. You can do that in baseball. You can trade hard cash for players. You can't do that in baseball. You can do that in basketball as well. You can in football, and that rule hasn't changed. So we advocated, what about trading cap room? For instance, you have a team, a bad team with loads of cap room, and they want to acquire a player. Why don't you say, okay, give me $10 million of cap room. Cap room comes off the bad team, goes on to the new team. New team gets rid of the player. Yeah, that was not allowed as well. But what we're seeing is more activity now. And again, with the offensive explosion, with ratings increasing on all day parts and night parts right now, with football back to its perch as the king of programming and the king of interest and the king of attention, from sports fans, this is another way. So here we are, end of October, things are happening along the trade deadline for reasons I talked about, and it's a good thing. Again, the business of football is well served with an active trading deadline, and that's happening.
Before we talk about a trade that caught my specific attention with the Cowboys acquiring Amari Cooper for the hefty price of a first-round pick, here's a word from Simply Safe. I'm a big fan of this home security system. It's ready for anything that gets thrown at it. If a storm takes out your power, it's ready. If an intruder cuts your phone line, it's ready. If somehow your keypad or siren is gone, Simply Safe will get you back. Maybe it's overkill, but it's always ready. It doesn't cost much. They only charge what's fair. 24-7 professional security monitoring is just $14.99 a month. Again, no contracts, no hidden fees. I recommend Simply Safe as a home security for everyone. And you can get it. Go to simplysafe.com slash brand. My name all caps, B-R-A-N-D-T. That's simplysafe.com slash brand. Protect your home and family today. Simplysafe.com slash brand. To a specific trade that happened, and we're going to talk about it. This one is Amari Cooper, former first-round pick, former superstar college player coming out of Alabama, being sold off by the Raiders to the Cowboys. So again, this is a sell-off team that we talked about in this new age of trades, like a baseball trade. Uh, The Raiders seem to be selling off assets again. That took on that mindset once they traded Khalil Mack, their superstar defensive lineman, to the Bears. Listen, I get it. People are bashing the Raiders for what they're doing and John Gruden, but I think they made a great trade. (laughs) I am not a scout. I'm staying in my lane. I don't judge Amari Cooper. I know he's made the Pro Bowl, but that is not a player, in my opinion, worth a first-round pick. That is a trade that favors the Raiders. Listen, I come from a background in football, even with the CBA, even more so. First-round picks are gold. First-round picks are precious currency. They give you four years of reasonable and fixed income with an option of a fifth year that's much higher, but it's at your option. You don't have to guarantee it until the fifth year begins. It is a tremendous asset to have an extra first-round pick, if not to take but to use towards getting a higher first-round pick. This is an asset. Is Amari Cooper worth that asset? I don't think so. First of all, Amari Cooper's in the last year of that, what I talked about, that five-year, that four-year contract as a first-rounder. Now, there is an option year on him. It's about $14 million. So they've acquired him for reasonable pay, reasonable pay the Cowboys have, for the next, however, eight games, or seven or nine, ten games. But, but, they have a $14 million number next year and nothing beyond that. So the Cowboys spent, gave up the precious currency of a first-round pick to be on the hook for $14 million next year with nothing after. It's like having a franchise tag, no security beyond that. I think that they will approach Joel Siegel, the agent for Amari Cooper, about a future deal. But if they don't, that's a lot to give up for a first-round pick for basically 24, 25, 26 games. If they do, Siegel will have leverage because if they didn't get a deal done upon the trade, there's no evidence they did, of course, the leverage shifts to Cooper and Agent Joel Siegel to get the deal they want, and there's no better leverage than having Jerry Jones really want the asset. The Raiders just found that out. Uh, reportedly, there were a couple second-round offers, which, again, I think is a high number for Amari Cooper, but the Cowboys gave him what they wanted, a first-round pick. No evidence of other teams offering a first-round pick. It's a high price to pay. I think it's a valuable asset. We can bash the Raiders for taking two first-round picks for Khalil Mack. I'm not going to do that either, but I am going to defend them for taking a 
Amari Cooper with one first-round pick. I just think that's value. I think that getting a first-round pick for a player that has not been performing well for the Raiders, and we can go into all the reasons why, but the Raiders aren't going anywhere with Amari Cooper this year and maybe next year, and getting that first-round pick is value. I just think they won the trade because they used the leverage of Jerry Jones and his family wanting that player. They met the price, and Reggie McKenzie, who I worked with a long time, very laid-back general manager, basically said it. They gave us the price we wanted. We gave them the player. Uh, the price we wanted was a first-round pick. Again, you don't see first-round picks doled out very often, especially for non-quarterbacks, especially for receivers, and we're going to see it happening here. I think the Raiders got the benefit of that deal. I think the Cowboys got swept up in the emotion of the deal, beating the other teams who were offering second-round picks and got the player. Now they were leveraged on the trade. I think they're going to be leveraged on the contract where they're going to have to pay through the nose for Amari Cooper probably before next season starts. $14 million is a high cap number. They get a lower cap number. That's the Cowboys' way. Give a big bonus, spread it out over years, take a lower cap number early in the contract. Now, you can defend the Cowboys. Yeah, they got big money coming in, but they've got Dak Prescott on this ridiculously undervalued contract. That's true. But they gave up a first-round pick. So again, they gave up something they need to build that team, and it seems like they're a young team and they need to build, but that's the way the Joneses roll. They get that. So Raiders giving up assets, and again, cash flow could be an issue for the Raiders. We've talked about it before. Mark Davis, certainly the least wealthy of the owners. And I know there's cash infusions coming in from other owners, but Maybe he just didn't want to pay going into that $14 million number for Amari Cooper. So we do see that. Again, biggest trade so far, first-round pick for Amari Cooper. I think the Raiders win that trade. Unless we see Amari Cooper take on a new life with the Cowboys, he'll play well, but well enough to give up a first-round pick. We'll see. Next, we'll get to a note on the World Series and the business of baseball. First, a word from Hims. Do you know 66% of men lose their hair by age 35? Do you want a bald spot? Do you want your hairline to recede? You know this is going to happen to most guys. What do guys turn to? They were weird solutions. Now they can turn to medicine and science. Forhims.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. Hims will connect you to real doctors, medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss, no snake oil, no, no gas station counter supplements. This is real stuff. And no waiting room, no awkward in-person doctor visits. You save hours. You go to 4 answer a few questions. The doctor review can prescribe you and get your products right to the door. So my listeners can get a full trial month for Hims, $5 today while supplies last. See the website for details. This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to a pharmacy or a doctor. So go to forhims.com slash sportsbiz, all caps, S-P-O-R-T-S-B-I-Z. That's forhims.com slash sportsbiz, forhims.com slash sportsbiz. Another issue I want to talk about on these branch rants, we're in the World Series. I don't talk a lot about the business of baseball. It's always interesting to me that baseball stands out. Of the four major sports, it's probably the the sport I talk about most in my sports law class that I teach every week at Villanova Law School because it's got the history, it's got the law, it's got some 
cases that developed antitrust exemptions and labor and the reserve clause and Kurt Flood's challenge of that that led to free agency in baseball and then all other sports. But the business of baseball is fascinating because it's not national, uh, usually. It's very regional. And business is booming, booming because of these local television contracts where they provide programming for slow summers that can't be topped. We talk about the value of live programming. Well, you buy into these teams, you've got programming from April to October almost every night. makes it valuable. It is sports. It is live. People can poo-poo baseball, but it's doing well financially. And speaking of which, here we are in the World Series. So we have two teams in there. Ratings are going to be as good as they can get, which is kind of like half what an NFL game would get. Because uh, you've got the Red Sox, traditionally well-followed team, obviously legacy, wonderful name, and the same is true for the Dodgers. From the payroll aspect, you're talking about two of the three top teams in baseball. The Giants, by the way, are second, San Francisco Giants. But the payroll for uh, the Red Sox is $228 million. The payroll for the Dodgers is $200 million. Now think about those numbers. They are far, They would be top payrolls for NFL teams that have twice the amount of players and more. So let's just put that in perspective first. You have payrolls of 228 and 200 million. Now that includes the call-ups. So it's not a, exactly a 25-man roster, but it's it's the call-ups bringing it to 40. You know, NFL teams have 53, 10 on the practice, bunch of in reserve guys. So they're probably very close to twice that, probably 70 to 75 players per NFL team. And most of those teams, I'd say 90% of NFL teams have payroll lower than those two teams. But back to baseball. This is not a good look for the parity. Every team has hope. You want a team in the World Series that you can point to if you're baseball commissioner, if you're baseball owners, and say, look, we have parity. Now, they can do that because... The Rays, who are at the bottom, and the A's, who are at the bottom, are playoff teams. But, of course, they're not World Series teams. That would be better baseball for their look in terms of parity, in terms of hope, and look in terms of the system is working. It's not all about money if one of those teams made it in. Of course, they didn't. We're dealing with two of the top three payrolls. We're dealing with big money. We're dealing with the, the reality in baseball that unless you have those kind of sustained resources, you're playing an uphill battle. Sure, the A's can pop in there, the Rays can pop in there, the Pirates can pop in there now and then, but you got five teams below 100 million payroll, including those three I just mentioned. Pirates, Royals, A's, Rays. You know, we're talking about these teams paying under 100 million in play, and the Marlins, of course. Marlins are always sort of up and down. But think about that. That could not happen in a salary cap league like the NHL, like the NBA, and like the NFL. The disparity between high and low payrolls would never be that high because the cap is self-regulating. That's what we have in football that I talk about primarily. We don't in baseball. Why doesn't baseball have a salary cap? Good question. As I say about negotiations, it's much easier to get something in uh, that you have, or I'm sorry, let's say that again. It's much easier to keep the status quo than to change it. So to change the status quo in baseball would take a monumental effort from ownership to reverse the players having no salary cap. Just like in the NFL, the NBA, or NHL, 
to eliminate the salary cap would take a Herculean effort from the players that I don't think will ever happen. Now, in baseball, it's the other way around. It will take a Herculean effort from the owners to eliminate this cap. And though we've had work stoppages in the past six years in basketball, in hockey, and of course in football, and we may be headed for another, we haven't in baseball. And why? Because I don't think the owners are willing to impose a cap or to come in a negotiation saying we want a cap. They don't even say it. So they don't even say it. So we have harmonious negotiations in baseball. That's what's happening. But the World Series is not a good look for the powers that be in baseball saying it's not just about money. And I know the A's had their great year and the Rays had a good year. And there are teams lower on the payroll list that did well. But sustained resources are key to baseball. Without a cap, it's not a self-regulating system. And again, you have teams over $200 million in payroll, and you have five teams under $100 million in payroll. They're playing each other. That, if money does buy good players, that doesn't work. So baseball has to think about its long-term sustainable value, even though, as we sit here today, it's the highest-paid sport in terms of average salary, and it's doing well. Baseball is booming, and I think that's not a national relevant uh, broadcast revenue thing. It's a local. And then you talk about disparity again. What the Yankees, Red Sox, and Dodgers can get from their local is so different than what the Pirates, A's, and, and Rays can get from their local, and that's also a big thing to talk about too. How do you eliminate the disparity in baseball? More revenue sharing. Is the revenue sharing going on? Yes. To the extent that teams are spending more on players? No. What can be done about that? Good question. <laughs> we have to figure that out. So that's what's going on in baseball. Just I wanted to give a quick note since we're in the World Series, and it does seem to be about money. <laughs> I have a final point in a minute about sort of the college basketball pro thing. But first, a word from Under Armour. Great company, great product. Whether you're competing, training, recovering, Under Armour is the best gear it has two new collections that I've used that are really good in terms of people know I'm kind of a fitness nerd. They've got the Vanish, which is breathable. You feel lighter. You're less distracted. It's quick drying. It won't cling or chafe. It stretches. And they've got the Perpetual, which has got a lot of design features. It improves the way your body moves. It's got taping hugs, flexes, better alignment, muscle awareness. And they've got these great fitness apps Under Armour does now. You track your runs, your workouts. You go to UA's MyMap Run, you can sync with Garmin, Apple, Under Armour's got their own connected running shoes, or you can do diet, UA's MyFitnessPal. It's the easiest way to calorie counter and, and do those nutrition goals that you want to do. So you can unlock more tools on these fitness apps. So download Under Armour's Map My Run and MyFitnessPal in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Take control of your goals today with Under Armour. Great product, make you feel better and better about working out. Note about basketball. Uh, There's a report this week I thought was interesting to bring up here in the business of sports that the G League, which is the developmental league for the NBA, is considering an offer, uh, uh, ramping up their salaries to about $100,000, $125,000. That would be a huge incentive for players that traditionally are going on the one-and-done route top players in high school basketball. We know about them. They go to, it seems like more and more going to Duke or North Carolina or 
of course, Kentucky to do their one and done. This would be an opportunity to bypass college and go to the pros, uh, albeit the minor league pros, making a lot more money theoretically. I don't want to get cynical about what Kentucky can pay players uh, theoretically more than the college. Here's the thing to note. The one and done rule, people have to know, it's not an NCAA rule. It's an NBA rule. And the NBA rule used to be you can come out of high school. It was changed. You need to have one year removed from high school. Players are figuring out ways to bypass it. We've seen players go to Europe. We now see a top high school player getting an internship with New Balance, and they're paying him a ton of money. Obviously, it's a fake internship in terms of what they expect from him in the future to sign with them as he goes pro. So all these things are going on, G League trying to get control of it. So what you have is the NBA's own league kind of conspiring with themselves to uh, bypass this one-and-done rule, which I guess makes some sense. But this is an interesting development because what does the NBA want? If they want players to stay in school longer, they have to negotiate with the union. Uh, and I don't know where the the G League comes in on that. So we'll have to see where this goes. I think the bottom line is this is a negotiable item, just like the NFL rule is three years removed before you can come into the pros. And when the NBA PA gets in front of the NBA or the NFL PA gets in front of the NFL, it's important to note these are issues that are collectively bargained. And the unions usually have a lot more issues directly affecting the active constituents, the active players. So when you have the active constituents worrying about themselves, their free agency, their benefits, their pension, everything else, the worries about college players coming into the NBA or the NFL really sort of fall by the wayside. So my point is one and done rule, three and done rule. The, the, just like I talked about the baseball changing the cap or trying to implement a cap, it's not going to happen easily because they're just not high priorities. People are worried about other things. And they're worried about what's happening to them rather than can we get players from the lower levels into our league faster. That's not going to be an issue. So in CBA negotiations, way down the list for the NBPA or the NFLPA to worry about the one and done, three and done, any kind of entry rules. Those are my branch rants for the week about the trade deadline, about Major League Baseball and the World Series and their lack of parity with money. And of course, this new idea of G League players making a lot more money. Now we go to the listener questions. Call in, leave your question, I'll answer it on the podcast. And let's start with Brad. Hey, Andrew. Hoping to break into the communications and marketing side of sports. And I was just wondering, uh, based on your experiences, how much uh, do brands sort of rely on agencies or individual agents uh, to get deals done uh, for their clients? Or is that more so uh, a manager perspective than an agent perspective? I know in today's digital-friendly world, it's probably never been easier to uh, create um, partnerships in terms of combining uh, digital Thanks. Thanks, Brad. I really appreciate the question. This really sort of gets to a similar view when I was an executive and agents or managers used to tell me that I should sign their player because he's so good. I think with brands, sometimes you get the same reaction where agents or managers try to tell the brand, you should sign our player because of this. Brands usually know what they want, how they want it, and they've got people in their companies telling them what image they want to create. 
Sure, agents can help. And like any business, when you have trust from the agent, when you work with the agent before, the manager, you know the people, they have a lot of clients with you, you're going to trust them more. But again, brand management is usually about the company that's using the player as a brand, what image they want to project. You often will have agents or managers or agencies, bigger ones like CAA, Octagon, of course, pushing for certain brand use. But the bottom line is, It's hard to know exactly what the brand wants. You've got to trust them. And usually they'll work with the agent, work with the manager, but come up with their own plans, storylines, storyboards for what they want to do with a commercial, with a print campaign, with an ad campaign, with digital campaign, etc. Thanks, Brad. Let's go to... Hi, Andrew. It's uh, Etienne from Quebec City, Canada. My question is, in, in the wake of the Nick Bosa story, NFL teams don't seem to mind a player making a business decision like... Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey did. But what happens when a fourth-year player who hasn't been offered an extension, who knows won't be resigning the offseason, decides to sit out a playoff game? What happens if uh, Le'Veon Bell shows up, plays the rest of the year, gets his paycheck, and then sits out the playoffs because it's better for him to be safe and sound for the, the free agency period? Thanks. Interesting, and, and I appreciate Etienne, and hello, Canada. And I like the accent. I, it's the same accent as when I interviewed Laurent DuVernay-Tardif, the only d- active doctor in the NFL lineman for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a uh, lilting accent. Appreciate it, Etienne. Listen, this is something that's talked about. Players, when is their best leverage? And there aren't a lot of times in a player's life where he has any leverage. Here's the issue about playoff games, though. Yeah, theoretically, you could sit out, but that money is dwarfed by salary. Players make anywhere, first round playoffs, whether it's divisional or wild card, they're making like $21,000. Every player, the contract doesn't matter whether you're made uh, $200,000 during the season or $20 million during the season. You're making the same amount in the playoffs, like $21,000, and then it goes up like $42,000 divisional round and $50,000 championship round, and maybe you make $100,000 in the Super Bowl. But that is chicken feed compared to the contracts of superstars. Look at Le'Veon Bell. Making eight hundred thousand, eight hundred fifty thousand a week, compared to a playoff game. I think there, what I'm saying is there's a reason we haven't seen a player do this boycott of a playoff game. One is financial. Two is it could be a career ender. What team is going to jump into that after a player thumbing his nose at the most crucial time of the year? That's going to take a lot of explaining to do to future potential employers. So I love the idea. It's the complete leverage. Um, You know, I guess what I think about is when Donald Sterling of the LA Clippers said those nasty uh, racist things, it was during the playoffs, I believe, and players were threatening not to play. That was leverage. And of course, Sterling was removed from ownership and ultimately the team was sold. So you need some kind of massive leverage stroke like that. Now, if a group boycott, uh, players got together on a playoff team and that was going to happen, wow, I mean, that could create some action. The chance of that happening, slim and none. So unfortunately, there aren't a lot of times where they have leverage. And that would be an obvious one from a theoretical point of view, from a practical point of view. I just don't see that happening. Thanks for the questions. As always, love answering them. You can leave them 484-416-5654. 484-416-5654. That's the number to leave a voicemail. I will answer it here on the Business of Sports podcast. 
And again, the podcast sponsored by Bet Online. October, you have everything. You have NFL, you have college football, you have Major League Baseball, playoffs. You don't want to miss an action. Head over to betonline.ag, make your online wagers, take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Use this promo code PODCAST1. You get a 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts, and our exclusive partner at Podcast One Sportsnet. 50% sign-up bonus at BetOnline.ag. Thanks for listening, everyone. I uh, always enjoy bringing these to you with all my thoughts, my rants, guests, whatever it is. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us a good rating if you would. Stitcher, tune in, RossTucker.com, wherever you hear your podcasts. And I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.